morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Thursday, March the 10th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. As the world marked International Women's Day, women groups across Nigeria held rallies demanding federal lawmakers to pass gender equality laws. We are raising awareness on the future of our girls and, our, and women and their, and their place in the society. And Namibia has defended its sale of 22 wild elephants to a zoo in the United Arab Emirates as legal and needed to prevent wildlife conflict. And the government in Zimbabwe has said that it will repeal the Broadcasting Services Act to open up the media for foreign investment. What is important in terms of understanding broadcasting is that it's capital intensive. The media responds to a global market. And ahead of the World Tuberculosis Day, the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis and Malaria is calling on governments to renew the fight against respiratory illness, which kills over one million people each year. We'll have these stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, as the world marked International Women's Day, women groups across Nigeria held rallies demanding federal lawmakers to pass gender equality bills. The bills seek equitable representation of women in politics based on international best practices and other rights such as citizenship by marriage seemingly enjoyed by men alone. In Lagos, women gathered at the Lagos State Government House to protest the recent rejection of these gender bills by the National Assembly. From Lagos, Samuel Okocha reports on the rally and what the International Women's Day means for women in Nigeria. We are raising awareness on the future of our girls and, our, and women and their, and their place in the society. Niyilola Alukoloko is a lawyer and activist. She is one of dozens of women gathered here on International Women's Day at the House of Assembly grounds of the state government in Lagos. She says while countries in other parts of the world have made progress on gender equality in politics, Nigeria still lags behind. The bill sent to the Senate and the House of Rep for constitutional review has not met the aspiration of Nigerian women. That's why we are here. We want 35% affirmative action, which has been agreed since Beijing, like years back. You need to be free as a woman to aspire to any position. The women rally in Lagos also comes a day after police confirmed the death of a 22-year-old female who went missing after she boarded a state-controlled transport service known as BRT. The case has generated anger on social media and on the streets of Lagos. She boarded a government-appointed vehicle, a government-provided vehicle, and yet she wasn't safe. Wuro Labulaton works with Stand to End Rape Initiative, an advocacy group fighting against gender-based violence in Nigeria. She says... The news of the death of the 22-year-old female highlights the need to pass laws that protect women who are increasingly becoming victims of gender-based violence and insecurity in Nigeria. Women in the 
their homes are not safe. Their husbands are attacking them. You go to the market, someone is trying to grow food, you're not safe. You enter BLT bus, you're not even safe. So we know there's like insecurity in the country generally, but the insecurity, the threat that women face is on a greater level. And it just shows you how little the place value the place on women's lives and we need to change that and we can only start changing it by our laws if you have laws that prioritize women the same way prioritize men this year's international women's day campaign is represented by the break the bias hashtag it calls on people to work towards a world that is equitable inclusive and free from bias and discrimination in nigeria Women are calling on lawmakers to pass gender bills that level the playing field for women moving forward. Samuel Okocha, VOA News, Lagos, Nigeria. The Zimbabwe government has said that it will repeal the Broadcasting Services Act to open up the media to foreign investment, which could give a lifeline for many media institutions that have been struggling. From Harare, reporter Kuzai Zivanashe has more. Kindness Paraza is the Deputy Minister of Information in Zimbabwe. He told media stakeholders on Wednesday the government was making efforts to liberalize the media. At the moment, my ministry is seized with the proposed amendments to the Broadcasting Services Amendment Bill. The bill seeks to allow foreign shareholders in entities to be awarded broadcasting service licenses by holding up to 40% shareholding in a local company as a measure of encouraging development of the broadcasting sector, yet still ensuring that Zimbabweans remain in control of broadcasting services. Golden Maunganite is chairperson of the Media Institute of Southern Africa, or MISA. The organization, along with other media groups, has been advocating for these amendments. It's nothing new from what we've been demanding for over the years. We demanded that uh, this Broadcasting Services Act be amended because it is no longer fit for its purpose. It has outlived its relevance. It was formulated more than two decades ago. We, however, plead with them to make sure that they live up to their word so that whatever they have promised the media stakeholders today must come to reality, must see the light of the day. Maunganize says the amendments should be done in the spirit of developing the media and making it competitive in the region. Nigel Nyamutumbu is with the Media Alliance of Zimbabwe, which also has lobbied these amendments. What is important in terms of understanding broadcasting is that it's capital intensive. The media responds to a global market. Uh, so our preposition was to ensure at least, uh, yes, the majority would be uh, Zimbabweans, but uh, in line with the government mantra that they're open for business and in line uh, with supporting an already a shrinked market and economy, uh, it would be important to encourage as many actors, uh, be they uh, foreign, to also join in and uh, support our media. Under the current law, community radio stations were not sustainable because of stringent rules prohibiting them from advertising and even accessing foreign investment like the rest of the media. Mlando Lozindlovu is the director of the Zimbabwe Association of community radio stations, or ZAKRAS. We hope the ministry is sincere 
on their conditions to actually repeal the Broadcasting Services Act to allow for advertising and provision for the funding of community stations from the diaspora, particularly foreign funding from people that are living in the diaspora. Advertising is the lifeblood of the media. Community stations are, are not surviving. Uh, they do not have sustainability plans because uh, they have not been allowed to advertise by the government of Zimbabwe. He adds that advertising will complement other funding models for community radio stations to ensure their sustainability. The amendment also will allow foreigners to be directors in media companies. Deputy Minister Paradza urged media stakeholders to take ownership of the bill and say the media landscape will change once this bill goes through. For VOA, this is Kudzej Nawashi from Harare. And as the world celebrated International Women's Day, women in Burundi reflected upon the achievements and challenges they face while they strive to get to their dreams. From Bujumbura, Moses Javiarimana has this report. Boxing is a male-dominated sport in Burundi, but a 24-year-old woman, Ornella Javiarimana, has made her own history by becoming the first ever Burundian professional boxer to represent the country in the Olympic Games. She says that she started boxing when she was 15 years old and that it wasn't easy for her to train with the boys. She says she had to sacrifice a lot as she was the only female boxer in the gym and it gave her courage to move forward to pursue her dreams. At the age of 24, Ornella Javiarimana won medals in boxing. She became the first Burundian boxer to participate in the Olympic Games that took place last year in Japan. Many like Ornella strive to make their dreams a reality. Maureen Bigirimana is a trader in Bujumbura. She says that most Burundian women live in poverty and that few can afford to be independent and financially stable. She says the Women's Day celebration should remind Burundian women how to improve their financial status and not only celebrating the day by wearing good clothes. The Secretary General of the East African Community, Peter Matuki, says that affirmative action in region's politics has considerably increased the female representation in national parliaments. Rwanda is in the lead with nearly 64% in the lower house and almost 40% in the Senate or upper house. Burundi comes in at 36% in the lower house and 41% in the Senate. Women hold 35% of legislative seats in Uganda. 36% in Tanzania, 27% in Kenya, and in South Sudan, women hold 28%. The East African Community Secretary General Peter Matuki says that gender equality is paramount for the region. We try to see how the gender equality and the theme is very befitting the gender equality today for a sustainable tomorrow. Women are increasingly being recognized as more vulnerable to climate change impacts than men as they constitute the majority of the world's poor and are more dependent on the natural resources which climate change threatens the most. Without gender equality today, a sustainable future and an equal future remains beyond our reach. Article 5 of the Treaty for the Establishment of the East African Community stipulates gender mainstreaming in all its endeavors. It also calls for enhancing the role of women in cultural, social, political, economic and technological development. 
Two other articles, 121 and 122, emphasize the role of women in social economic development and business, which remains the key element of the integration agenda for the community. Moses Aviarimana for Voice of America. This week, women around the world marked International Women's Day. And each year, the event celebrates women's achievements and lobbies for accelerated gender parity. The UN is encouraging women's groups to celebrate the end to barriers to equality that women have overcome. But this year, many women in Liberia have taken another approach, alerting the world to unsafe conditions for them and their children. Rita Jogbedua reports from Monrovia. Liberia women and children's rights advocates said that this focus should not simply be on celebrating women, but warned the world about the daily abuse of women and children in Liberia. Ninswa B.N. Livingstone is the executive director for rescue of abandoned and children in hardship or rich. She says... Instead of celebrating the day like women in other countries, many Liberians used the holiday to strategize on how to make the country a better place for all. Considering the rape cases, domestic violence and SGBV against women and children, let me say babies, bring so many reasons to not even joyously celebrate this day in Liberia, but to sit as women across the table to see what strategies can we put into place that our daughters, our mothers, and our sons can be protected. Madam B.N. Livingstone says her organization, in collaboration with other advocacy groups, is leading an awareness campaign against sexual gender-based violence in communities across Morovia. Every woman needs to rise up and join the fight. The fight cannot be won. If we are divided, the fight can never be won when some women think that they can't leave their offices or they can't speak on rape or what affecting women because they may be seen as attacking the government. While others supported a boycott of the nation's International Women's Day program to express their frustration, Yasa Wesley, a member of a local advocacy group, March for Justice, urged her sisters to attend this week's events and tell the world of challenges faced by Liberian women. Boycotting started right. Let us all attend the program and speak our minds, anger, and express how we feel as women, how we have been victimized, how we carry agony every day. Like Wesley, gender equality activist Vic Junwuto says she is not against a boycott of this week's celebrations in protest against violence against women, but to use the time to alert the world about how unprotected women in Liberia are. Some people believe there's absolutely nothing to celebrate, especially with the glaring evidence that um, rape is on the increase, other violence against women are also on the increase. But I can simply say to them, it is not about the prevailing crimes or circumstances that give no hope. It is about you continuing to work in regards to speaking up against these issues because one way or the other, if you are quiet, they won't be flagged. 
Though it is illegal to commit violence against women and children, Wuto says implementation of the laws aimed at protecting them are very weak. She wants international organizations to help advocate for safe spaces for women and children. I think the punishment for rape is clear, but getting to the punishment is the tough road that we have all been trying to work on. And I think there has been some level of politeness in handling rape cases. So this International Women's Day, I'm asking everyone in and outside of Liberia, those in the requisite authority to take actions and handle rape in a more drastic and urgent manner, unlike the regular polite way of handling rape cases. Many activists hope that next year, Liberian women will be able to showcase new efforts to protect them from harm and a renewed efforts to support their goal of social, political, and economic equality with men. Rita Drabwe Duo for VOA News, Morovia, Liberia. And in Sudan, protesters marching against military rule on International Women's Day were met with tear gas as they approached the presidential palace. Reuters reports that women's rights groups had called a protest along with neighborhood resistance committees that have been organizing street demonstrations since the military took power in October. The coup put an end to a power-sharing arrangement between civilians and the military that was struck after former President Omar al-Bashir, who ruled for over 30 years, was toppled in a 2019 uprising in which women played a prominent role. Namibia has defended its sale of 22 wild elephants to a zoo in the United Arab Emirates as legal and needed to prevent human-wildlife conflict. But conservationists call it a legal loophole and excuse to make money. Vitalio Angula reports from Vindok, Namibia. The chief of Namibia's Ministry of Environment, Forestry and Tourism described the sale as a private transaction between buyer and seller, which could not be influenced by the Namibian government. Speaking at a press briefing Wednesday, Teofeles Ngitila said the transaction is lawful and in accordance with the CITES, the Convention on International Trade in endangered species of wild fauna and flora. I've indicated earlier that this uh, life sale of African elephants fulfill Article 3 of the CITES. And uh, making reference to that article, it set procedures that needed to be followed. And uh, the responsible authority have to cross-check and also in consultation with the CITES secretariat that uh, that requirement is fulfilled. So we have not received any objection from the CITES at this stage, and that means the conditions is fulfilled. Michelle Pickover is executive director of an animal welfare group, the EMS Foundation. She told VOA that Namibian authorities are being disingenuous by citing Article 3 of the CITES, which deals with the export of endangered species from their natural habitats. Okay, so that I think would be Namibia seeing Article 3 as a loophole. Article 3 is essentially around trade in Appendix 1 animals. 
But um, elephants from Namibia are actually, since 1996, they are seen as Appendix 2 elephants. Pickover further said a legal opinion from the foundation's attorneys said the transaction is illegal and that the main motivating factor for the export of the elephants is not to manage human-wildlife conflict, but to make a profit. I also think one has to look at the money, right? There are a lot of players here that are making a lot of money. Namibia claimed they made 5.9 or 5.7 million rand. We've heard something like 50 million rand being made by traders and other other individuals, traders from South Africa and so on. So, you know, there's big money here, and where there's big money, all sorts of bad things happen. The Namibian government cites human-wildlife conflict as a reason for the need to decrease the population of elephant herds. Elephants are blamed for the deaths of four people in Namibia and the trampling of hundreds of small farmers' crops. Animal welfare groups bemoan the fact that these elephants are not being moved to African parks and ranges, as called for by the international conventions, and instead are being sold into captivity. Vitalio Angula for VOA News, Vintuk, Namibia. And ahead of the World Tuberculosis Day, which uh, takes place March 24th of this month, the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis and Malaria is calling on governments to renew the fight against respiratory illness, which kills over 1 million people each year. In South Africa, a hotspot for TB, a mobile screening team is trying to make up for disruptions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Linda Giftash reports from Johannesburg. Despite being treatable and preventable, tuberculosis is a leading killer in South Africa. Testing for TB treatment has dropped dramatically during the coronavirus pandemic with deadly consequences. Latoya Weiser's 32-year-old partner is among the fatalities. His tongue, he was only saying that he's feeling bad. He didn't even taste the food. It's whereby I asked him, let's go to the clinic and test. It's whereby we find out that he's positive. Although Weiser's partner was in treatment for two months, he succumbed to TB last August. Testing did ensure their infant son was put on preventative treatment. Both Weiser and the baby remain healthy, but she struggles with her loss. I did wish, because if maybe we did find out sooner, maybe he would have still been alive. Her experience is not unique. An estimated 1.8 billion people globally are infected with TB bacteria, disproportionately affecting those in poorer nations. Of those infected, roughly 10 million people get sick every year. The Global Fund says development of new TB treatments has long stagnated, and the onset of the coronavirus has made matters worse. Mohamed Yassin is a senior disease advisor on TB for the Global Fund. We have seen more than 20% drop in the number of people who are access diagnosis and treatment, and then the transmission will continue, and that's will contribute to overall TB incidence and mortality. TB mortality for the first time increased to 1.5 million from the 1.4 million in 2019. A new mobile clinic supported by the Global Fund aims to close the gap in TB testing. It's reaching people like Weiser who find it hard to get to clinics. Ashley Mbakota is a radiographer for the Van Base Clinic. 
if you don't know, like surely you can't take care, you can't take, uh, you can't protect people next to you from something that we don't know that you have, even if you're not showing any symptoms. So we just check them. After screening, uh, what we normally do, if we pick up that they have TB, we make sure that we trace the TB, like in families, friends, they all come and test. Governments are also learning from mistakes made during the coronavirus pandemic to improve treatment for illnesses that were neglected. Dr. Ben Montuetti is a district clinical manager for HIV and TB programs in South Africa. In hindsight, we should have, when we're investigating for COVID, also investigated uh, for TB. But we have realized that we we rectifying our mistakes, we are rechallenging, uh, rechanneling our efforts now to integrate COVID activities with uh, primary health care activities, including TB services now. To ensure efforts like this can have the greatest impact, the Global Fund is appealing to the international community for $18 billion. It says the funding will correct setbacks caused by the pandemic and move the world closer to eliminating diseases like tuberculosis. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Johannesburg. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter. We are also on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. Just search for VOA Africa. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.